Hello, and welcome to the If We Knew Then podcast. I'm Stephen Sox. And I'm Lori Sox. And today we're joined by Ms. Christina Aries and Dr. Maureen Lamarena Tatsui from Citizens of the World Charter Schools. If you've listened to our episodes over the last 13 months, Citizens of the World, we were very fortunate to happen upon through a referral from a friend. And they have changed our life and Liam's journey in education. And we have wanted to discuss with them their school, their mission statement, and their model of inclusivity. For quite some time, this school has changed Liam's ability to access education. They were the first educational institution that actually saw our son and saw him with a value. We wanted to have this conversation to let you know if you are in one of the situations where you find yourself fighting for an education, where you find yourself carrying a burden that just doesn't feel right or equal, where you're always having conversations with your school about the necessity to educate your child or the work that needs to be done, where you have to hire a lawyer at every IEP in order to have their civil rights upheld. That takes its toll. It took its toll on us to an extent that we weren't even aware of the toll it took on us. This school is hope. It's a reminder that the rights of our children need to be upheld, that our children are equal and should be seen. And as we say in the episode, anything other that is placed upon us because of the lack that exists in the education system is not ours to carry. It is not our burden to carry. And so while we may still have the fight until the right for our child's education is upheld, uh, we don't have to carry the burden of a broken system. And we hope that as you listen to this conversation, you begin to understand what a whole system is, the power of inclusion and the power you have in your child's life to bridge that gap and make up for the lack that is being offered to us. So welcome, Mrs. Aries and Dr. Maureen. Hello, friends. Hi. Hi, it's good to see you. We are so happy you can join us today. Yeah, we're happy to be here. Thanks for having us and being patient with us because I know you've invited us to come onto your podcast. It's been many months um, and there's never a perfect time of the year for us uh, administrators, but um, we're happy to be here and to talk about Liam and to talk about CWC. And I guess I'll introduce myself. 
Um, I'm Maureen Lamarana Tatsui. I am the co-principal of CWC Silver Lake TK through five. Uh, the kids and the parents and staff call me Dr. Maureen. And I'm Christina Aries. I'm the co-principal of CWC Middle School, um, our six through eight campus. And I'm really excited to be here and, you know, a little intimidated that I'm just Miss Aries next to Dr. Maureen. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's only one doctor here. So we're we're with you too, Christina. Do you want to discuss your journey to Citizens of the World? Or would you like to discuss what Citizens of the World is first, their mission statement and how they, what would you prefer doing first? I think we could do both if that's helpful. Okay. Christina, do you want to go first? Or do you want me to go first? Why don't you go first since you joined first? Sure. I joined CWC in 2012. Uh, prior to coming to CWC, I was a teacher uh, for about a decade in the Compton Unified School District because I was placed there uh, through a program called Teach for America. And TFA places their core members who are, tend to be recent college graduates in underserved communities. Um, it's a two-year commitment. And, um, you know, when I first got into TFA, you actually have to do something called a summer institute. And it is a teacher boot camp. So it's five weeks of intense training and you teach summer school. It's certainly not enough training. Um, I did that in the Bronx, and that's where I met Dr. Ramona, who was the founder of CWC Silver Lake. She started the school and said, would you consider coming with me into this charter school? And at that point in time, like, I honestly didn't know a lot about the charter world. In fact, I mean, most of the narrative around charters is pretty negative. Um, and I taught for a long time. I taught second, third, fourth, and fifth grade. I genuinely loved teaching and I loved the community in Compton and I loved my colleagues. And at the same time, I was like, maybe it, it is time to try something new and you know, venture into some unknown territory. And because I trust Ramona with my life, I was like, yeah, like let's do it. So initially I had interviewed to be a teacher and I got that job. I interviewed at CWC Hollywood. Then um, a little while later, she said, hey, we're going to be on a couple of campuses, which is often the case for charter schools. Like, we're going to need to hire an additional administrator. Like, would you want to go for that? And I saw a lot of administrators during my time in the classroom. And I was like, I don't want to do that. And um, at that time, uh, I wanted to pursue a doctorate. And like teach teachers at a university. Eventually, like I was offered the AP job. And so, you know, with Dr. Ramona, I was the founding assistant principal. Um, so that's the long journey to CWC. I also fell in love with it because at the time I was a mother to a three-year-old and who's now uh, with Miss Aries uh, at the middle school and he's 13. And thinking about where are we going to send this kid to school? And um, really like the, the model, the philosophy of CWC was really inspiring, right? And I'm not going to quote the mission, but, you know, essentially serving students in a constructivist experiential learning environment, students that represent the diversity of LA in every which way in a model that, you know, addresses their academic needs, but also their social emotional needs. At the time, there wasn't an explicit statement on DEI in 2012. Um, that has evolved over time. But, you know, I was like, if I 
yeah, I'm going to work here and I believe in this so much, I'm going to send my child here, right? And so that's what's kept me at CWC for as long as I've been here. You know your intention and your thoughts of the school if you're going to have your child, your own child in the classroom. We can get into what CWC is, but I, I think it would be a good opportunity to talk about real quick before we go to Christina. The idea CWC has multiple campuses in the Los Angeles area for people that don't know about it. So I had mentioned like CWC Hollywood was the first school that opened in 2010. Then CWC Silver Lake opened in 2012. The third campus was CWC or is CWC Mar Vista that opened a year later. So uh, 2013 on the West side. And then I believe in the fall of 2020 was when uh, CWC West Valley opened and then CWC East Valley opened in 2021. Also during that time, Silver Lake expanded and Mar Vista expanded and grew to open middle schools. I just realized that we've been saying CWC, but it's citizens of the world, which to me is, it just says it all, you know, when I really think about it, because, you know, you were talking about having the the diversity and, and I think that is one of the things that grabbed me at first was when we talk about inclusion, it really is based on, you know, disability, like having that in- inclusion and idea. Those are the things that we really talk about the most when it comes to education. But the power of having a completely inclusive environment that actually reflects our world and our community is so important because what it does, I'm, I mean, I don't want to talk too much before um, Christina gets to talk, but when we sat at Liam's graduation for fifth grade, listening to what the kids spoke about, how the kids spoke, what I loved was it was this beautiful, simple celebration. It was community. And it's so reflected in the students that graduated and how they talk about their hopes and dreams, how they talk about the world, how they talk about each other and how they treat each other. For me, for that to actually be, you know, the future of the citizens of this world is the hope. Yeah, it's the beauty of inclusion. Yeah, and it's the gift that we talk about all the time in our IEPs when we're told that there needs to be like segregation of certain students. And we talk about the gift both ways of having just that inclusion. And you guys, just the way you do it, your classroom represents what the world is. And I think that's a gift to the kids because it changes them. So I just wanted to to say that when we say CWC, it's citizens of the world. And, and it's a uh, very fitting name. And it is. And it's really, and it's what you create. It's you create citizens of a, of a very hopeful, promising world. Can you add those citizens of a hopeful, promising world? <laughs> <laughs> they have very long acronym. I appreciate that feedback. I, I mean, I think Christina would agree with me. Graduation is one of those times of the year when you're like, ah, this is why we do what we do. Yeah. Um, because this is a really tough, like doing in, like doing inclusion can be challenging. Diversity can be challenging. It, diversity is challenging. Um, and I think like it would be a disservice to anybody or everybody to make it sound like, you know, diversity work is easy. It, it can be tough. And there is a lot of, like, Lori, as you're talking, like there's just so much research out there that shows that people tend to hang out with people that look like them or that are like them. 
right? In, in any way, whether that's socioeconomic, like race, ability. Mm-hmm. And um, I think as a mother, I didn't want my child to like not, that's not the world to be like just with people that look like you, right? And so I, I try to remember that every time things get tough. It's like, we're not yet seeing, like we're planting the seeds, we're planting the seeds. And, you know, I get to pass the baton to Christina and then like the baton gets passed to high school, which we don't have. And those seeds will sprout in at their own rate and in their own time. But we have to, we have to trust that it's working. Um, graduation is a time where, where you do, we're like, yeah, it is, it is, <laughs> you know, based on these reflections. Um, but it's, it's, it can be challenging. It's definitely a long game. Mm-hmm. I think that's why most people don't do it. I think that's why people opt out of creating an inclusive environment. And, and it's actually, you know, the conversation that we, we would usually get. It's because it costs more and it takes more work and it takes more time. You know, it's the easy way out to just kind of stay on that, that limited path. I have to also bring attention to the fact that you said ability, not disability. And that's it. It's like, it's in your fiber and that's what you pass on. Can I also say before we go into Mrs. Ears, like I can't, as a woman, I mean, this is inclusion too. This is a part of the inclusion is, especially since it's Women's History Month, to work on a campus with such strong, powerful, intelligent, kind, compassionate, empathetic women, what that does to the young women of the world. And you want to talk about planting seeds and changing narratives, just that. What that does to the young men of the world too. Yes. When you see people who change the world... And like you said, plant the right seeds. It's so humbling and it's inspiring and it changes your life. It changes my life to know that this is what's out there. And Liam had a wonderful graduation and then went on to middle school. Which is scary, even going into an inclusive environment. And that is where we met Mrs. Aries. So um, I'm going to pass it over to you, Miss Aries. Well, Lori, you really teed me up there with the idea of middle school being a place that's really scary and where there's a lot of fear. Um, and in 2008, I similarly to Dr. Maureen was graduating college and, you know, com- communicating, connecting with Teach for America. And I decided to go for it. I come from a family of educators. I tried my whole life not to be an educator. Even in college, I was working at the University of Chicago Lab School founded by John Dewey. So it, it just kept it kept finding me. Education always found me. And so I joined Teach for America and you get to preference the cities you want to be in. You get to preference the grades that you work with. And it was very clear on my application. My first priority, I'd love to be in high school. My second, you can put me in elementary. Please absolutely do not put me in middle school. <laughs> Lo and behold, I was placed in a middle school in the South Bronx, and I never turned back. I really love middle school, and we talk a lot about change makers and changing the world. And in my eyes, middle schoolers are the kids who have the most capacity for change because their brains, you know, what is what is frustrating about middle school is their their prefrontal cortex is often offline, right? They're they're making decisions without all of the rational like things that tell us to stop and not do that. And that's also really inspired, like that helps them to innovate really well. So middle schoolers, because they are not as rational as we are, because they are not as concrete and rigid as adults are, they're so flexible and they think about problems 
from incredibly innovative angles. They're really incredible kids. Um, I taught in New York City for 12 years. And for, for the majority of the time, I was with the Department of Education and primarily with two different schools, both of which were project-based schools. So I was, I did really grow in the constructivist, project-based, um, kind of authentic curriculum style. I loved writing curriculum. Um, I was also really lucky. The majority of the time I was a teacher, I was placed in what we called like a, a co-teaching classroom. So I was placed in a classroom where about 50% of my students were students with IEPs of various different abilities, and the other 50% of my classroom were students that would be called gen ed at a normal school, at a, at a department school. And what I was able to see is this incredibly mutually beneficial relationship, because middle schoolers in general are very creative. Middle schoolers in general can approach problems from different angles. And then when you put kids who have all of these different abilities in a classroom, the capacity for them to learn from each other is exponential. And something I'd love to, to talk about a little more is I, I really think that as a nation, there's this narrative that students with IEPs should be in an inclusion model because they can learn from their peers. And we need to flip that switch because all of our kids learn really deeply from each other in an inclusion model. And it is just as beneficial for that kid who's qualified for a GATE program since second grade than for a student with Down syndrome to be together in a classroom. Um, and that's something that I work really hard with my kids. That's a narrative that I try to switch with them all the time. Um, and our teachers are great at that. Fast forward to 2019, I was working in a school in downtown Manhattan. I was not you know, I wasn't unhappy, but I have been teaching for 12 years and I was ready for a new challenge. My print, my principal had always told me like, you should join, you should be in administration. I was like, absolutely not. I don't want to do what you do. No, no way. No, thank you. I was also very pregnant and I had a, an initial interview with citizens of the world. You know, it, sounded, it was like, oh, wow, Los Angeles. That's sounds so, you know, I'm a New Yorker. It's February. It's freezing. Fast forward a few months. I had my son. And I, I took the job, moved across the country with a two-month-old, and I'm not going to say never look back. I have family in New York, and I do definitely uh, identify as a New Yorker, but my, my family and I have settled here and are very happy. And I think I was in with a two-day-old baby in that interview when I made that decision. I was also in a position similar to Maureen, where I was finally thinking, what is the education I want for my kid? You know, how do I want, where do I want to put my kid in school? And I want to align the decisions that I'm making as an educator with the decisions that I'm making as a mom. And I want to work at a school that I would send my kid to. And I don't want to work at a school where, where I didn't feel comfortable sending my kid. And so that just really helped me further my alignment to the education that I wanted to see in the world. You make such a wonderful point on how inclusion benefits all the children in the classroom. It reminded me of when I fell in love with CWC is when I realized that the school saw my son as an asset in the classroom because that's not how he was presented to us. It was always this in the world like detriment. When he was born, right? Yeah, like in something that needed to be corrected and the accommodations were just such a burden. And that's not how your, your school works. And actually, um, Jake, who was the 
what is he in Mr. Jake? What would he, I don't know what his title. Yeah. So last year he was one of my assistant principals and he was also a slash like special education director. And he was very concerned right off the bat to make sure that all of Liam's supports would be implemented. He took it as a responsibility. He took looking at our IEP as a responsibility of, oh, here are X amount of speech therapies. Here is uh, this accommodation. And he set it as a responsibility for him to do it and for the school to be responsible to the IEP. We've always found that when our IEP is built, that's the best we're going to get is the idea of the IEP. That's as simple as it was, is like doing doing what is supposed to be done. And I want parents to hear that this is a model that does what they're supposed to do. So when they're fed the other narrative, that's not acceptable. And that's not what should be expected because you do get like on this path where you start out one way and then just the path gets deeper and deeper. And then all of a sudden as parents, we're just walking the path that we've been told to walk. And I want parents to know that that is not, I mean, it may be what they're experiencing, but it isn't right. They should be able to expect more and be confident because parents don't want to be a burden in asking for the supports for their children, but they usually feel that way. And that's usually the part because they're like, I don't want to, I hear all the time and I've said many times, I don't want to be the squeaky wheel. And none of those conversations actually belong on the table. We have never had that conversation with your school. And I want parents to know that they can expect this and they can ask for this. And if they need to look any place to, you know, because we have to bring evidence when they go into their IEP, they can look to your model and say, this is what's being done. This is the expectation. The upholding of idea isn't absurd. It's doing what you're supposed to do. Uh, you guys make it look like it's done with ease, but we know it's work. But um, And I think what you're talking about, oh, Laura, are you done? I don't want to interrupt you. You oh, always interrupt me. <laughs> you're talking about equity fundamentally, right? Is like, do, is every kid in the building getting what they need? And I think that's the, that's one of our uh, values as an organization and as a school. And, you know, as you're talking, I'm, I think a lot about how I haven't had to fight this battle for my own child. And I think about, I put myself in your shoes or any other parent that has to really fight for their kid and tried to come from a place because I think there's this narrative that schools and parents or specifically of students with disabilities like have to have this adversarial relationship and I don't think that that's true either and for me I just try to really think about what have they been through what fights have they had to go through that I've never had to experience before you know like if a if a caregiver is coming in, I'm just going to say it very like casually, coming in hot, right? Like I have to pause myself and, and ask like, okay, there is a reason why they're coming in this way. And often it's because they've had to come in this way or into other environments this way to get what they need for their child. At the end of the day, I do think it is, you know, pushing each other on our values around equity, like it is um, whether it's Liam or any other child, are they getting what they need? And if they are not, how can we partner with parents to make sure the child is getting what they need and also advocate for that child on their parents' behalf? Um, yeah, I'll pause there. But that's just, as you were talking, I was like, it's just fundamentally, 
an equity issue. The way you approach equity is the one thing because you say is every child getting what they need. And I think during the pandemic, we saw that when the pandemic happened, we received tons of emails about the rest of the students. And we felt like a lot of those parents were now on the journey that we were because they were like, we were part of the, the Zooms where they were like, my child isn't getting supports. My child isn't getting the work. I don't know. How do I support my child? And, and that's really what opened our eyes is because when other parents had to do it, they were not having it. This is and prior to CWC. This is prior to CWC. And so we got used to, and parents get used to equity, meaning equity the other kids are getting, but you have to fight for the same thing that everybody else is getting. And that's one of the brilliant things about your school. I do want to circle back to Dr. Maureen because equity is not easy, specifically when you get into middle school where kids are just because of what is going on neurologically with them, they're so attuned to their own experience. They feel like they have a spotlight on them. And that feeling like you have a spotlight on you really brings into stark contrast anytime you get treated differently at all, whether it is having a separate place where you're taking a test or having sneakers that look a little bit different from the person next to you, all of that difference is really heightened. And you have to do a lot of work with kids when they're saying, hey, well, this isn't fair, right? But the number of times that I have had the conversation with teenagers about the difference between fairness, equality, and equity, I, I couldn't count on, on any advocates in the world how many times I've had that conversation because it is, they, they see it. And I think that's a real testament to our TK through eight program that when I joined CWC, one of the first things that I noticed was the way that our kids treat each other and the way that our kids treat each other across lines of difference. And it's not perfect, right? It's absolutely not perfect. Every single week, there is an issue that arises where you have to navigate a solution or navigate conflict that has arisen because there are lines of difference. Lines of difference encapsulating all of the, the many various ways that we can be different from one another. And I think in middle school that's heightened, but I, I see in our kids, especially our kids who have been with us for a long time, I really see the love and the compassion that they bring. And also this openness that very few adults that I know can bring to a conversation with someone who's different from them. This ability to see, oh, you know, I wasn't considering this other person's perspective. I need to take a different perspective and then I can continue this conversation. They're really open to that in a way that many adults are really closed off. Um, so the work is, I want to circle back. Like, it is hard work. <laughs> it, is, it is really hard work, but our kids are, are capable of it, especially when they get that education from a really young age. I, and I think we would be remiss not to mention the incredible aids that Liam has had. He has had the most wonderful aides just at the middle school working with Miss Juvie and Miss Lolly. And I know he was with Miss Danny in the elementary school. And every time I walk into a classroom and I squat down and I'm listening to kids and I listen to, I, you know, I listen to Miss Juvie's conversation with Liam. I feel very lucky that we've been able to hire aides that bring their whole selves and see our kids as assets. And there's an art to being an aide that I never saw until being introduced to your school, too. It's the idea of 
being with this child and giving them some assistance, but just enough. Also allowing that child to be independent in social environments and in schoolwork, but just a little help when the, when needed. And then also to kind of float around the classroom. So it's not like, hey, let's just make everyone aware that Liam is the one that needs help. You know, like you know, every kid could use a little help. So you float around and it just becomes a seamless classroom asset. But it's also accepting the potential and seeing his value. Right. Seeing him being a student and that's it. It's not Liam with Down syndrome. I don't, I've never had that. And I don't, my son has Down syndrome, but for the most part of his life, that chromosome has led any conversation. And it wasn't a conversation about ability. It was a conversation about limits or what he couldn't do. And that has never been the case. And it's, you know, from, oh my gosh, Miss Julia. And, and that's his uh, fifth grade uh, for teacher. His fifth grade teacher. I mean, to go from what he went through to Miss Julia, it was like, what? It's like being on like the biggest fast for a really long time where you can only have that like lemon and cayenne pepper drink, right? And then all of a sudden someone sits you down at the most glorious buffet filled with like anything that your heart can desire. She was not only loving, which Liam usually gets, but she saw his potential. She um, she had him reach for the bar that we've mm-hmm. always, when we usually ask for that bar, it was like, hmm. But she, she immediately, she put it there. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't, I think that it, even if we wouldn't have asked for it, it would have been there. And there was such a, there was such a loving conversation and openness like you were saying, Dr. Maureen, um, to where he was coming from, but also to where we were coming from. I mean, it, it's just a trickle down. You're that's that's just what this citizens of the world does across the board is always seeing value and wanting to lift people. And you know, it went from there to a middle school with Miss Juvie, and it was right off the bat. Like I didn't have to. I had one conversation about the bar. And also like some insight to Liam. I'm going to tell you his, his tells. Raising the bar for Liam. Yeah, I'm going to tell you Liam's tells and what he'll, since you don't know him, how he's going to go about it. And Liam used to have this four no kind of thing where if he could get someone to ask him four times, he knew that that fourth time they're either going to give up or if they go one further, he'll be like, "Mm, they know me. Most people give up at three. And then if you're just like, all right, I'll wait then he understands that he's not going to get away with what he normally gets away with. And Miss Judy makes it fun. She calls it a yes day. She says, it's a yes day, Miss Aries. We're having a yes day. Oh, Oh, she's so good. And I'd asked her about coming on to have the conversation because she also has experience in her own personal life with Down syndrome. And I think that makes a difference. It can make a difference either way, but it definitely... I don't know how I got on this tangent. No, I just get so same, excited. You know, but you are going someplace where it's the same difference that these children that are going through sins of the world will, that will be realized in their adulthood, that they were around people that were different than they. And when we talk about differences, aren't we all the same? But still, we do break up these differences. Like you talk about, Dr. Maureen, how we kind of, I guess we're tribal and we kind of hang with people kind of look like us. I mean, you can go to the mall and you can like people watch and you see there's two girls. I don't even care what color they are. They're going to be dressed the same, you know, and there's two guys walking over there and they're going to have like the same sneakers on. I don't know how that works, but they, they kind of are drawn together, either the people with similar things or they manifest that. But the classroom that you build are all these different kids, which is just our society. And they're not 
like meshing into each other. They're they're not becoming this like melting pot. They're actually still have their quote unquote differences, whatever that is, and learning from each other. And that's the idea that you see in Liam, that Liam's part of that. Whatever difference he has, uh, it doesn't even have to be the Down syndrome. You know, it's it's just, that's one, one possibility. I can't tell you how refreshing that is. Mm-hmm. I can't, and you see, and you, I was telling Stephen, you're so smart because I remember sitting down with you, Miss Aries, one morning, and you are so smart about the brain. <laughs> In my like worst sentence I could ever say, you're so smart about the brain. Um, uh, But you're so, and I think it's that just knowing, I know with that information, that would have helped me with my daughter because kids feel that. And I feel like by acknowledging that it allows uh, students to almost a freedom from that anxiety. And I think if, if adults that are here today had that foundation, we'd have a different society. I think you can't teach or lead middle school without developmentally understanding middle schoolers. And that's a, that's a problem across our country. There's been a lot of thought put into elementary school models and a lot of studying of the brain to see how kids learn how to read or how they acquire mathematical concepts, those those foundational pieces. There's a lot of research there. And there's a lot of thought put into a high school model that prepares kids for college. And there is really not a lot of thought put into most middle schools, which is disappointing because that's where the brain is making its most exponential growth between, you know, after the age of, after the age of four, right? Maria Montessori shares that the that eight that toddler age is very similar to the 12 13 14 age specifically um when you're talking about the brain and so you have to understand especially if you're going to work with with kids that age you have to understand developmentally what they are going through because it you know it helps you not to personalize when a kid lashes out when their prefrontal cortex is offline but also because it it helps you to help them name what is happening so that they can tame it for themselves. It's really empowering for them to know, you know, a lot of kids take risks during this time. And so it's not unusual for me to want to take risks. I just have to calculate how risky is too risky, right? And it's good to know as a teacher, my kids need to be able to take risks. So I'm going to set up a structure where they can take risks that I feel safe with them taking. I'm going to give them three risky choices, all of which feel very safe to me, And they'll feel inspired to do the work that we're doing or the project that we're doing together in class because it has that novel concept without them feeling like, oh, I have to pursue risk in this way or I have to pursue risk in this way. So that understanding of middle school development is really critical for middle school teachers. And a lot of places where I've worked, eighth grade, I say this, I say this all the time, eighth grade at other schools will often feel like high school, sixth grade will feel like elementary. And then seventh grade will feel like chaos. And that is how a lot of middle schools feel. Um, And my goal is for all of our grades to really serve kids where they are, all of our kids where they are developmentally. This is the great thing about Citizens of the World. He's seen and he's supported and he's able to learn. And it was never a conversation. There was never any additional supports that needed to go into place. There was never anything. It's just he's learning and better. He's being taught. And at first I I had to like email, like this is, these are some of the words Liam's saying at home. Can someone, can you tell, what is he, 
is he really talking about kinetic energy? Like, is he really breaking down the difference between kinetic and potential energy on the way home? The other day, he was talking to me about Egypt and about the pharaohs and about the war and all of these things. And he has an IEP with supports. The need for those supports has diminished because he's actually being taught. And, you know, maybe my neighbor down the street, if I said that uh, to them, they'd be like, well, of course they're in school, but it's the first time. And the thing is, is the proof is in the pudding because he's able to learn. And he comes home talking about pharaohs and kinetic energy and like things that I don't know. I'm like, oh, is that right? (laughs) I have to like, I have to Google to help with homework. It's interesting to hear because I hear this from a lot of our, a lot of our families actually. And I think part, a lot of our families who are new in the middle school. And I also think part of it is, is this model of constructivism where students are making meaning, right? They're not being taught an algorithm, how you plug and chug with an algorithm. They're not listening to a lecture series and creating Cornell notes. The the true power of constructivism is that there's information that you play with and you build meaning for yourself and you build meaning in community with the people at your table. And every time I walk into a classroom where Liam or any of our students are, they're like, they're, they're it's a little huddle where they're, they're working through problems together, right? They're trying to figure out, um, they're, they're asking each other different strategies for dividing decimals and they're learning from each other's strategies. And the questions being asked are, can you figure out a different way to do it? Is there like, let's look at this person's strategy and try to figure out what they did to solve the problem. And those are really powerful questions because like a constructivist curriculum done really well, what it does is it highlights all of the different ways to solve a problem and then elevates all of them. And so you can learn, you're not learning one way, right? I was taught math one way. And by sixth grade, I had a book underneath my math desk and I really did look like I was doing math, but you better believe I was reading a babysitter's club book (laughs) (laughs) in, in math at CWC. Kids are learning different tools to approach problems in different ways. And then there are ways and they're going to find the one that works from them. And oftentimes they're not going to even learn it from their teacher, right? They might learn it from a kid at their table. And so we are, we tell our kids over and over again, how valuable it is. I tell my kids all the time, you have way more to learn from each other than you do to me. I can create the structure. I can, I can bring the the question. I can start the inquiry. I can provide you with these accountable talk stems that will help you to respectfully disagree, that will help you to challenge, that will help you to build on, but you are building meaning from one another. And you must see that overflow into how they interact with each other socially. Absolutely. And once again, middle school, we are not perfect. Kids disagree. It happens. But over over the year, over the course of the year, and then over the course of the time that kids are with us, they are really good at solving problems with one another, especially, and I, I do think that I have never before CWC worked at a school that was TK to eight. And there's such power in a lot of the learning that they do in TK and kindergarten and first and second up through fifth grade in that, in those values and those dispositions being reinforced in middle school. It's really powerful when kids bring, like kids will bring up all, they talk about Miss Julia all the time. They talk about Miss Nusha 
all the time and the things that they learned in those classrooms. And then they can apply it to their middle school experience. I think sometimes kids move from an elementary school, they get thrown into middle school and it's absolutely terrifying. And as parents were terrified because all of a sudden our kid is like creating distance from us, which is natural and normal. And that, and it's something that, that kids are going to do as they become adults is, is distance themselves and spend more time with their peers, but it can be really scary. And all of the development, all of the things that are happening to them can, as parents, we can internalize a lot of fear and bring that to the table. And then we're not, we're not able to support them the way that they need to be supported. You know, we need to just support them with like, I see you, I hear you. You can feel all your, I said this to kids every day. I'm like, you can feel all your big feelings. I want you to feel those feelings. That is part of this, this journey. Um, got off on a little bit of a tangent there. No, <laughs> no, Do- not Dr. At all. Maureen, did you have something to add to that? Uh, I mean, I've been listening to all three of you and so many ideas that like popped into my head, like going way back into our conversation about Miss Julia and about Juvie. Um, I think a lot of the success with inclusion, again, we're not perfect, is like just make sure you have like as the leaders, right? You're hiring the right people and making sure that when we are hiring, you're looking at what does what does this person value and how have they shown that they value it how do they live these values right like miss julia miss julia was also my son's teacher and she is a unicorn in a lot of ways right I'm like how do we find more of those um and i as a hiring manager have not been perfect in finding those and it is also my responsibility and Christina's responsibility. If a person is not there, are they willing to go there eventually and grow in their practice and in their values? Or like, oh, hey, I remember you said like this is something that you value. Right now you are acting in a way that's not in alignment with those values, right? And like, that's the hard part about being a boss is like, I have to hold you accountable. I have to hold this person accountable to it. That is one thing that I do love about my job is I, I get to pick, I get to choose who serves the kids. And I've always thought if I'm not comfortable with this person serving my kid, why would I put them in front of anybody else's kid? So just making sure um, as school leaders, that's one of our biggest responsibilities is the, pe- the people are so important. And um, I've met Miss Juvie. She's wonderful. I didn't get to hire Miss Juvie, but you know, more more Julias and Juvies are critical to making sure that we are in alignment, that we are serving um, kids as equitably as possible. I think in a lot of uh, other school environments, or what makes CWC also unique, as as Christina was talking about, and like all of her like deep knowledge on the brain is, you know, making space for that. Like when we say like our school values, social, emotional learning, like any other subject, that means our teachers also need to, you know, um, and I think the middle school has this wonderful roots program um, that's like built into their day um, for students and also in elementary, it, it starts in TK, right? Like SEL, how is that actually playing out? How are um, us as administrators making sure that SEL, that there's time for that? And unfortunately, like in public education, especially, it can feel like, oh my gosh, I have to like do, I have to teach all of these standards and I, and, and we're testing and we're doing all of these things. And like the environment is not set up necessarily for teachers 
to attend to SEL, right? Or all of these things that feel like it's extra and not core. And I, and I think that's kind of one of the big problems with ed, the education system. Um, a lot of ed, edgy, edgy speak, um, it, it's that feeling pressure to attend to like students academics, which are very important, but you can't have academics without SEL. You can't have academics without students feeling seen or safe. And so you do have to attend to that as well. Those are just two random tangents. <laughs> I was thinking about as, as y'all were talking. No, you guys say they're tangents, but I think it's so important and it's empowering to parents because if you're not, if you're not receiving this, it's going to, there's going to be an impact. And so I always encourage parents to know that they have more of a say in their student's life. Down syndrome in the world has changed. We've seen Down syndrome change, the conversation and the narrative and what people think Down syndrome has changed. And the conversation that's always had is the chromosome has not changed. It is the way we approach it and the supports and the equity and all of those things that it's a very slow, slow change. But I want parents to seek out uh, citizens of the world or a school maybe that goes uh, under that same mission statement because it is a difference. And then we don't have to carry that weight and the burden that's being placed on our students and our parents is really just a reflection of the lack that exists. And instead of the school system saying, this is a lack that we have, and we don't have the ability to do anything other than what we see, what we see as extra, which is your core, the social, emotional, and supporting every child. Every child is seen uh, because we can't do that. We're going to place that burden on other people and call it other things. And your school does not do that. And I cannot, and I cannot um, stress that enough. The the change that that makes just in Liam's experience of school. I just, we just saw a shift. And then he too is given the ability to take risks and to make choices. I just can't stress to parents that the ability is there with the supports and the right environment, your child can shine and be seen. And I think I said that to you at the beginning of the year, Miss Aries, is that I, I know my son was seen for the first time with Citizens of the World. And then all of a sudden, I, I realized that I'd been carrying things that I didn't need to be carrying for a very, very long time because the difference was in this environment, not only with the academics, is he really thriving Thriving to the point, like I would say before, with his supports, he thrives. I didn't even know what that meant. Thriving is coming home and talking to me about his academics, telling me about his English teacher and the books that they're reading. Not only academics, socially. We had, we had said at the end of the year, like once he got into Citizens of the World, his, the elementary school, we had said, you know what? If he has one friend, that's great. As long as he's getting his education. We had, like, I had said that. I'm like, as long as I don't care about friends. I think I did an episode where I even said that. I'm like, friends don't matter. You know, there's such a burden. My best friends, I can count on one hand. And my, you know, but really I had given up. You were prepared for failure. I had prepared yeah. for 
you know, it's either going to be a friend out of pity. I saw some article I didn't even read about a parent of an adult with Down syndrome who actually tried to pay people to be friends with their son. And I, I, I couldn't even read it because no matter what the happy ending was to that, it was going to hurt my heart. Here's the story. Liam's birthday's coming up and Liam said he wants to have a party and inside I'm like, oh boy. Okay. All right, buddy. Um, so I just, in a conversation, I told Miss Melanie and I told Miss Juvie and they were, and I said, so if he has any friends, if, if he has any, was, if he has a friend, if that he has like a to do friend, something. he mentions <laughs> names, but I don't know what that means. Cause, and over a week's time, they, they had a list of like the people that they see the show. And then they, they went to each teacher and said, who do you see? And they came back with a list at the end of the week. And this is all like, I'm the whole time I'm so apologetic. I mean, I know you have things to do. I know this is, but it was done with such grace and graciousness. Um, a list of seven people and all but one because they were out of town showed up to go to a movie, to go to a movie with Liam. And not only did they show, and then I'm like nervous of what's going to show up. What is it going to be pity? Is it going to be my dad made me come? Is it going to be all of these things that I've seen and feared? And it was none of that. And also we, Stephen was just like, you know, we're always telling Liam, stop, don't, don't tackle, don't do that. And we see like when he's with his guy friends, that's just how they play. You know, they oh, just, yeah. he at was- Oh yeah, home, Liam can't get, you know, doesn't get away with that stuff. Anything. And I go, oh, that's where he's getting it from. <laughs> oh, he's <okay>. in middle <laughs> school. <laughs> it's middle school. <laughs> it's middle school. And that experience, I could have a whole episode on what it meant to me as a parent um, what it meant to my, my daughter was jealous. She's like seven friends. I don't have, <laughs> she wasn't exposed to the environment. But seven friends treating Liam as an equal, uh, as a, as an equal, as just a, a boy, just a kid. There were no extra conversations from parents, like to the point that I'm going, I went into it because I do going, are they aware? Like, do they, like, is there going to be a conversation? Is anybody like, they they asked, what did Liam like in case a couple of the kids wanted to bring him a gift? And there were all like age appropriate gifts that were like legitimate gifts you'd give to a friend, a, a fellow classmate in sixth grade. That's include, that's the gift of inclusion. Mm-hmm. I mean, li- any of Liam's differences are absorbed into we're all different which is really what I, I try to say all the time, but they were just, there was never, it was the the love, even just the acceptance of some of the things that he'd do where it's just like, Liam, you know, like I was harder on my son than other kids. They were, he was just a kid. That was the gift, not to mention Mr. Wong, who, since it was Pajama Friday, he allowed us to bring stuff in and we didn't have to stay we didn't have to do any of the extras that n- normally we would have to do because we we were always very aware of how fortunate we were that someone was going to allow us to do this or that it's going to be different for our son. But none of that. Mr. Wong was just like, yeah, let's have a party. Oh, I'm so excited. Liam's excitement about his birthday is our excitement about his birthday. And just like, I can give you this like uh, 15 or 20 minutes at the end of that Roots class. And we were able to drop it off and leave. And yeah, they had a party. And Liam had a party in class. Yeah. I think they played mafia. <laughs> <laughs> I think so. They had a good time. That is your school. That is the, the fruit of those seeds that are planted. Friday was uh, a day and they got to choose. Was it fun Friday? Fun Friday. Yeah. They got to choose something. And one of the boys, one of the boys that came to his birthday party, I said, will you be on my football team? 
And Miss Juvie was like, well, you know, just even knowing that like maybe Liam's not going to run the fastest. And he was just like, Liam, just be, just be on my team. And Liam was like, no, I'd rather watch a movie. Yeah, he was able to actually turn but down he was something. In, but he was, yeah, he turned down an <laughs> offer and that's never, you know, that's just not whatever. But it was like a kid just was like, I want Liam on my team. That's one of the fun things about middle school though, is they really, they really know, they know how to have a good time. Like they want to be social. Middle school is so social. And you can, you can plan an event with very little. Like I think in two, next week we're doing potato sack races. You know, it's like four compost bags and they're going to be entertained for an hour. <laughs> and they're just like, they're good. They're good kids with good hearts and they like to have fun. All middle school, middle schoolers love to have fun. But I think that your model allows that freedom because it's also, like you said, a time where there's a lot of other stuff going on. Um, for potential parents looking at, you know, we have TK through eight, where are you located? What are the other places for your schools? And, uh, you know, I, I want, I want every parent to experience citizens of the world. That's just what I want. (laughs) We are located in historic Filipino town, which is like Silver Lake adjacent. Um, so we're off of Beverly Boulevard and Rampart. And the middle school is going to be um, moving a few blocks down from the elementary, which is super exciting. You know, all families are welcome. We did just have our lottery. So the application deadline has already passed, but we're always accepting applications. It just means that at this point in time for next school year, someone that's applying would be placed at the bottom of the wait list. If families are interested in enrolling now, that is another way to get in. There are, depending on the grade level, there might be some grade levels that are closed off, but there might be some grade levels similar to Liam, right? Where there is an opening or availability in the middle of the year. And, you know, we just ask that caregivers make that decision. They know their children best. So if, you know, it's too jarring to make a mid-year move, we we do it all the time, though. Like we have kids who even came last year, we had a kid who showed up on the last day of school um, just to guarantee a spot for the following year. So apply. Everything can be found online in terms of application, uh, www.cwcsilverlake.org. We are also... Uh, both active on our social media accounts, and there are links to um, the application. There's also links to sign up for tours of the school, um, which we encourage all potential or interested families to do as well to get a feel for the place. Anything else that you want to add there, Christina? Just a caveat that the middle school social media account is entirely run by middle schoolers. So if the content is not as polished as you expect from educators, it's because 12-year-olds are making and posting it with, with guidance. Our middle school right now is split over two campuses, and they're both in Koreatown. So one, our sixth grade campus is co-located with uh, First Church of the Nazarene, and our seventh and eighth grade campus is co-located with Virgil Middle School off of Vermont. Um, and that is only our situation for one more year. We're, we're really lucky. Both of our co-locations are are wonderful. We have very strong relationships with the folks where we co-locate. And we just started demolition on the uh, permanent site for the middle school. So our middle school will be in historic Filipino town, just three blocks down from Dr. Maureen and the elementary school. And we're really excited to have that connection with them. I, I teach a leadership class and every week they ask if they if we can take leadership class and go to one of the elementary schools and support and lead 
at the elementary school. So yes, the same is true as our elementary school. If you want to enroll this year, we have been enrolling students in certain grades throughout the course of the year. There are a couple of, of spaces in particular grades, and usually we, we try to ease that transition. We have middle schoolers do a shadow day where they're partnered with a peer, and then usually for the first two days, they have a peer tutor who takes them through their day and, and kind of teaches them the ropes. Uh, and our kids integrate really, really quickly. We had two students join last week. And they're already just fully integrated into different social groups. Like you would never guess that they hadn't been there for the entire year. We'll have that website, uh, your main website, and also your social media handles uh, listed on our, our show notes. So you can go to that. Is California the only place where these the citizens of the world schools are? No, we also have, uh, we have schools in Kansas City as well. So we have uh, an elementary school and a middle school in Kansas City that work with our CWC national team. I wish there was a high school. As someone whose son is about to go to high school, I also, we had mentioned earlier in this podcast about how challenging it is to find facilities for charter schools, especially new charter schools. Like having a facility for a high school is even more challenging, right? If you think about like sports facilities or like music or just, I think like the kind of program we would want to run, we would want to have all the things for all of the kids. And that is not cheap. Um, and you know, the, I could only think the only other option would be like finding a high school, a pre-existing high school that had all of that, that happened to close down. And then we'd have to renovate that space. So I don't, I don't see it happening necessarily, but it doesn't mean that it won't one day. It's just, we're not ready for that now. Sad face. Sad face. <laughs> it's so sad face because I wish that this was the, uh, the model of all education, it just creates a better foundation for every student. And I want to find out more about this Teachers for America, um, because the teachers, it turns out, are just I, anybody who wants to be a teacher needs that's the route you need to go, because it's a celebration of educators who do the hard work mm -hmm. of equity and DEI. You do the things that are hard. And we just celebrate you. It makes the world a better place. You do. You make citizens of the world, man. You just, you just do. And like, I can guarantee, and if you had a high school, even more so, the kids that come through, when they talk to adults, when they talk to anyone, when they go out into the world, it will be this school that is at the foundation of what makes them game changers, what makes them inclusive, outside the box, making the world a better place, humans. And even if it's just through kindness and empathy, you know, that comes from this school, from this model, and it's just what we need more of. We appreciate uh, the both of you. We appreciate your trust in us and entrusting your child in our care. And we don't take that trust for granted. And thanks for giving us hope too. You know, it's tough work that we do. And sometimes we get lost in the minutia and the day-to-day -day stressors. So to see the larger impact that we're having or to be reminded of that is gold. Yeah. It's a, it's a long game. Mm -hmm. You don't always step back and look at the big picture. For sure. I just wish this for every parent. And I definitely wish this for every parent in, in our community because of just the effect that this has and the doors that it opens, you know, especially in a time when 
you know, kids experience so many other things. They have so much anxiety and fears and all of these things, and they feel uh, like they're the only ones going through it. And, and it creates challenges. And it's like with one breath, those worries and fears go away and they can focus on, they can focus on the good stuff. Thank you. We appreciate you so much. We appreciate you. Yeah, thank you both so much. And thank you for trusting us with Liam. Bye-bye. Bye, guys. Please follow us on Twitter at If We Knew Then Pod. And you can drop us a line on our Facebook page at If We Knew Then Pod. Or visit our website, ifweknewthen.com, to send us an email with questions and comments. And you can join our mailing list there and get alerts of future podcast episodes. All these links will be added to this episode's show notes. Thank you again, and we look forward to you joining us on the next episode of If We Knew Then. Come on,